Have a vision and be demanding. Colin Powell. This week, we have experienced a lot, so much so that it needs to be a space for me and Miss Georgia just to talk from the anniversary um, and all the things that have happened this week to in community violence to um, things happening at the Capitol. There are a whole lot of things affecting this continued moment. And here on Bearing Witness, our design is to do just that, to bear witness to this moment. So we have an archive of how we were experiencing this moment. Bearing Witness, Part of the Racial Reckoning Project is a reflective dive into the week's events unfolding in this season of racial upheaval and, we hope, change. I'm Anthony Galloway, Executive Director of the Arts Us Center for the African Diaspora. And I'm Georgia Fort, an independent journalist. We're going to go ahead and get jump right into it. Now, um... I have to check in with you, Miss Georgia, first and foremost, because in your coverage, not only of the in-community violence that has left two children dead, um, you are covering uh, the story when the family and helping to keep that front and center for us when you yourself experienced right there and we're in the midst of acute violence in, in drive-by that happened right there as you were giving an interview with the young girl who lost her life's uh, grandfather. You know, I just want to check in with you. Are you good? What's up? I think... Now is the moment where I just feel like it is okay to not be okay. Mm -hmm. Mm. And so oftentimes when people say, oh, how are you? We are programmed to just, oh, I'm good. Everything's fine. And you just say it without really thinking about how honest you're really being. And so I did that for a few days and then I just stopped because I was not really being honest. And I have just been telling myself, uh, the rest of this week, that it is okay to not be okay. No, mm. I'm not okay. I'm not okay this week. I'm not okay because I was in the middle of an interview with a peace activist who has served our community for nearly two decades, who has made countless sacrifices to try and end gun violence in Minneapolis. And the fact that I had to sit down with him and ask him what he remembered most about his six-year-old granddaughter because of senseless gun violence absolutely broke my heart. And to make the matter even worse, to wrap that interview up, before we could even leave, before we had all of our equipment packed up, pop, 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 right in front of us in North Minneapolis, 11 a.m. on Monday. And it it's just it's unbelievable. I I still I'm still processing. I at moments feel frozen at that time. You know, I still feel kind of frozen at that moment. And uh, even today, I was driving to Minneapolis to pick something up from a colleague, and I had my children with me. And I think I pulled up to a stop sign and. I just had this thought, like, if my car gets shot up, my kids are in it. And then I was like, why am I, why am I even having this thought? And so now every time when a car passes, I hold my breath until it's past me because I just don't know if they're going to start shooting. And so I'm just going to keep it real. On top of that, there was a shooting at George Floyd Square mm -hmm. the next day. 
And I had all of these plans to do this coverage. And I was really excited about the way we had thoughtfully decided to remember George Floyd. And I just had to pivot because it wasn't even 24 hours. That shooting at George Floyd Square was less than 24 hours in the time frame of when I witnessed the drive-by in real life. And so it's just, it's, it's a lot. And the last thing I'll just say here real quick, um, you know, my, we were celebrating my daughter's birthday a couple of days later and, um, my younger two, of course, they love balloons. And so they're playing with these balloons and one of them popped and I like jumped out of my skin because it sounded like a bullet, you know, it sounded like a gunshot. And, um, yeah, I just, it's okay. I will be okay. I'm, I'm self-caring. I'm setting aside time to get, a massage and the things, but like, let's just be real, man. Like you tell me how you feel after you see a drive-by and knowing one of the bullets struck a school and could have killed another kid. You know, you tell me how you feel after you witness a drive-by and then you learn that another child has succumbed to their injuries from this senseless gun violence. You tell me you, how you feel, you know? And so it's okay. I'll be okay. But right now, I'm I'm not. This is not it doesn't none of this sits right with me. Again, we are constantly constantly in in between in betwixt um and I'm using that word very specifically um points of trauma for which we have to account for the PTSD, the 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 response that you had to the balloon, the the look on your face. I get to see you on Zoom as we talk to each other here and record separately. Um, that look is, is all too familiar and it's getting very frustrating and it's fraying. Um, and yet, I, I got to say, even though you had to pivot there on George Floyd Square, you arranged, um, you still arranged for coverage to happen. You 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 texted me and you said, "Look, I'm I'm I can't I can't I can't be up there, but here go. I got somebody set up there. Go find them, <laughs> and then go send people to them. Um, and we're still marshalling and doing the work. I have to point that out because that resilience is something that doesn't get passed along in the narrative. That even going through all of that that you just described, and you're taking care of yourself, and you're doing the things that you need to do." To, to to address what's coming up with you, you still have the wherewithal to make sure that there's coverage out there to tell this story. And I just got to speak that into existence and honor that because that's the kind of resilience that does not get passed along, right? Let alone the resilience of community. You said, you know, what you just said about how we chose to celebrate walking George Floyd. Like I'm, 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 I'm there in, in pastoral duties with the healing space by the Baha'i Center. And from that side all the way to the other side, all the way across the square, you had a healing space where there was massages and the, the Get Set Sistet was, was doing soul music with, with Ms. Monkway and Kenna Cotman and, and all these folks. And you have um, um, uh, the, chap, the protest chaplains out. You had people setting up water, making sure everybody was hydrated. Kamo J had the booth out there. Bake Show Baker was, was, was getting folks to dance and just release um, you know, um, uh, brother PJ Hill was out there help showing folks the new space that is, that is starting to be created, right? There was, there was this buzz around the, around there. And yet everybody, every time there was some movement, I would see folks move and dart and, and, and wonder about 
safety is they celebrated and did both at the same time. There was, you know, the million artists movement was out making quilts with babies in, and let alone the concert there. Um, you know, I turned around and all of a sudden I'm face to face with common and I'm like, Oh, um, Hey, uh, there was all the feels. Uh, when we hear somebody say all the feels, that's what was happening there at George Floyd square, all the feels, but it, it had every bit the the essence of the old Peace Jam festivals and Rondo days in his heyday and and, and Juneteenth when you when it used to be at Theo Worth Park and was what it was before it before it, it it went away. And all of that in the backdrop of the fact that we are still have seeing the spikes of violence, violence visited in the space in the area. We 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 are constantly reminded. And so I just gotta I gotta I say that all as a backdrop to say that even in the midst of all of that, you're still arranging for this story to be told and this coverage to be had and folks to be able to see it who couldn't be there for George Floyd Square for many reasons, including ones, you know, your reason and uh, on the anniversary. So we got to honor that. And so I just got to thank you and give you props thank for you. that. No, I appreciate it. And it's, it's not easy, but you know, it needs to be done. And I think at, at some point, eventually I felt peace of mind and I I did end up going. Um, I didn't do any live coverage when I was there, but I did end up going mm-hmm. to just kind of be. And because I also knew Comet was going to be there and he's my favorite. <laughs> but after seeing everybody's posts and their Facebook stories and Instagram stories, I was like, okay, it's cool. It's okay to go out there. So I went out there, I think around 730 And as soon as I was close enough to hear the music, Common, the light was playing. It's one of my favorite songs. Second, it's important we communicate and tune the fate of this union to the right pitch. I exhaled and I just, it was like the sigh of relief. And I knew I was exactly where I was supposed to be. And I was there exactly when I was supposed to be there. And so it was just nice. I didn't, I did a little bit of recording, but for the most part, I just took it as an opportunity to talk to people in community to catch up with folks, uh, people who I've been, you know, following through my coverage in terms of how they're, you know, in this movement, but never really had a chance to sit and have a conversation with them. And so I just, I just took time to embrace the moment when I did get to go out there, um, but I will say, Anthony, you know, it's not it's not just me, but I'm I'm seeing this a lot in other people in our community where uh, as the complexities really become more prevalent surrounding the community violence and the intervention of the police, uh, there is this divide that you just cannot ignore. And mm. now you're hearing um, for the most part. I'm hearing this from a lot of the elders that we need the police, that the defund the police movement has led to where we are in terms Mm -hmm. of the uptick in gun violence. And then you have a lot of the younger generations who are pushing to reimagine public safety and create these different community alternatives that feel a bit defeated that they never really got a chance. Mm. They never really got a chance because those ideas, they were pushed back on and pushed back on. They were blocked uh, by the mayor and they were never funded. And so now we're at this point where 
I feel like we may have missed the opportunity to create this new innovative public safety alternative uh, because the community violence is urgent and it has to be addressed now and it requires all hands on deck, even you that's listening. Mm. Yes, you. There's something you can do to help stop it. Whether it's sharing the poster on your Facebook page that says that there's a $30,000 reward for information to lead in an arrest of the uh, shooting of three of our children. That doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't require a special skill set. It just requires you to click a button. And so I am seeing our community divided yet again. Uh, Meanwhile, this one year anniversary has passed. And I feel like to some degree, things are starting to revert. And it is making me really angry uh, to have to deal with the implicit biases and uh, white folks who I know don't mean no harm are still causing harm. <laughs> and it, it's exhausting. And, and, it, and, and for the first time in a very long time, Anthony, probably since last year around this time, mm-hmm. I remember feeling this way as well, feeling angry. Um, and I'm not saying angry for no reason because I could explain a long list, mm-hmm. but I tend to not be a person that gets angry easily. And so, uh, you know, I'm just like, okay, I need to unplug and really, really dig deep and figure out what is at the root of that. You, you mentioned the fracturing, right? When we get to this space and we see the splintering off of, of jockeying for over semantics, over directions, over the compounding incidents that are happening. When communities fracture, the things that we are trying to fight for as community become, start to elude us. I want to give a few examples of that. Um, when, if we go back to Indian removal, the Cherokee sued and won in the Supreme Court to not be removed from their land when the 1830 um, Indian Removal Act was passed in Congress. They challenged it in the Supreme Court and it was thrown out. The president at the time, Andrew Jackson, did nothing and even even worked within Cherokee community spaces to sign a treaty with a small group to push forward the Treaty of Achocha, which allowed the U.S. government to remove Native peoples from their land. An example of how we get into a space where all we have to do is, is wait or, or move in to fracture a community's coalescing and then boom, we can do whatever we want. We can, we can move an issue. We can, get, we can push aside or redirect something to something that makes us less uncomfortable. This has happened several times throughout history. When we look at Bacon's Rebellion earlier on, this is, this is, this is 1600s, we see poor uh, white planters and freedmen and, 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 and black indentures banding together to, to resist um, the, the tyranny of, of rich planters. And how was that broken up? Folks were given overseer positions and creating a status space that broke apart the solidarity between poor whites and black folks. We see the same thing utilized in the startup of the, in the, in the lead into the Civil War when poor whites across the South were, were made to believe that somehow uh, uh, supporting and upholding 
the institution of slavery benefited them in some way when in fact that was the same, the very thing that was depressing their ability to amass wealth it's, it's itself. This These fractures happen over and over again. The, the supposed rift that was drawn as a line nationally between um, the, the, the teachings of King and the teachings of Malcolm X, where they may have dis- they may had dis- real disagreements. I'm not trying to say that they didn't. You can use any literature to do that. But their ultimate goals were the same, and they actually were able to have conversation and coalescence. And what do we see? King became unpopular because he started to sound more like X, and X became unpopular because he started to sound more like King towards the end. Not necessarily on the same page, but the fracturing that is allowed to go in. And then, of course, we have all of this, 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 this content around COINTELPRO and the work of the FBI in our communities. Again, fracturing at the moments of coalescing, the time when AIM and the Black Panthers and other power movements were coming together to coalesce. We have movements to fracture. What is standing out for me is in this space, We no longer need, because this historical pattern has been so specific and so severe throughout our history, we no longer need outside agitation, outside influence in order to fracture. We stand in a space where our folks can count on the weariness and the the, um, consistency of our own internal struggles matching our external systemic struggles and knowing that all of that's going to leave us in a state of overwhelm which works counter to our ability to coalesce. I, I, I just, I was seeing these patterns as you were talking and, and describing that on the ground space. These, these were flooding my brain as I was listening to you talk. And, and, and it makes even harder the, the words of Frederick Douglass, without struggle, there is no progress. Well, how much struggle can we take mm. throughout this process? You know, And so uh, that, that, that overwhelm, um, and that's the word that comes to mind is that overwhelm. What choices, what is our options? What, are our, what is our work in a state of overwhelm? Well, and I think that I read online recently, overwhelm is a stress response, first of all. And so acknowledging that. Uh, but also when you talk about this fracture, the thing, when I first started to see this play out publicly, because this was happening at press conferences that were televised that I was also uh, covering, where we had elders in the community denouncing the defund the police movement, blaming the defund the police movement. So there's that fracture. Then on a political level, you see that there are certain press conferences, certain politicians will show up for and others won't. And so we know on a political front, also there's a fracture that our political leaders are not united on solving this. And it's going to require all hands on deck. So in the meantime, while there's this political conflict, people are dying. Mm. Schools are being shot. Lives are at jeopardy. And to circle back with the fracture in our community with the you know, the community violence being blamed as a result of the defund the police. Like I had to draw back and I'm like, is this accurate? Is this a real accusation? Because it's a very serious accusation to make. You know, I think when you look at the facts, has the Minneapolis Police Department been defunded? No. It it hasn't. (laughs) Then when you look at you know, cause and effect. 
So the defund the police movement really started gaining momentum after George Floyd was killed, which mm-hmm. was a year ago. Did the gun violence start then? Is that when gun violence specifically in North Minneapolis started? Or did it exist hmm. before George Floyd was killed? And so after thinking these things through and looking at that, it's very hard to say. And, and so I'm, I'm a solution. I want this issue to be solved. We can't solve it until we know what the root of it is. And so if we are publicly denouncing defund the the police because we're you're the movement saying that that is the root cause of this gun violence then we're going to fail to solve the issue again because the reality of it is is we've been dealing with gun violence in North Minneapolis I mean like look back at was it the 90s when it was murderapolis there was a surge in gun violence then too this is not a new issue that just came to be because of defund the police. And, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying what you should think about the police. I'm not saying where you should be on, on any spectrum of defund, abolish, reform, or keep it the same. I'm not saying what you should think about the police, but I'm saying, look at the facts. And I think it's a false allegation. What what you're doing is you're throwing layers of nuance, which is always our problem. We 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 often will make decisions um, on oversimplistic arguments that don't carry with it the nuance. That's the hard work. That's the hard road. We also have a pandemic. We also are coming out of a space. You know, it's we have the makings of a long hot summer. And right, I'm using that colloquially. When we come out of issues of high stress, anxiety, when, when there's a whole lot of things happening on a national level, we end up with long, hot summers in the places where all of our systemic issues are, are, are concentrated, right? And it doesn't just, isn't just related to, to urban communities. Um, our rural communities, our, our, our native brothers and sisters are continuing to see record high numbers of murdered and missing indigenous women, right? And so if we think that these are unconnected, we leave ourselves without doing what you had just asked us to do is to, is to get to get into the nuance and get to root cause issues, which unfortunately are long game issues. And, 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 and when we, when we get, when we allow for the distractions, right, the distractions that proceed and, 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 and foment the fractures, we end up leaving our, our full thinking nuanced selves aside. We can even see this at, at, the, at the national level when, you know, it, we can't even get our, our congressional space to investigate, um, you know, the, the assault at the Capitol, which everybody, everybody, I mean, I mean I'm being generalist, generalist, but the vast majority of folks, regardless of background, looked at that and said, that's a hot mess. And they said everything that they could about it. But now we're here months later, and now we go back into this jockeying position again, fracturing, and can't even call ourselves to investigate the very thing that we all agreed uh, was ridiculous. And again, I want to point out, you will, I don't want to point it out. You covered this and you pointed this out, Ms. Georgia, the hypocrisy of the response to that when mm-hmm. there was actual violence perpetrated and yet we yeah. see actual violence against protests in communities of color um, that have a much higher, more reactive and violent response. 
when yeah. far less provocation has happened, right? And 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 no provocation has happened. And so, uh, and 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 then continuing to see um, the disparate ways in which we treat different incidents. We already have seen that we talked about the resistance to even now we've got congressional leaders who are who are are talking about people who are working to reform systems that are harming communities of color and calling that some kind of of leftist socialist regime as a political talking point instead of the policy point that is actually being discussed. And I know, you know, there, there are critiques to be had across, amongst all of our political leaders. I mean, you saw that press conference, um, you know, you covered that press conference on the day that we heard the Chauvin verdict calling for investigations of democratic cities. So, you know, there's critique to be held everywhere. And we're asking for us to have a nuanced approach to get to root cause, because that's what's going to change things down the line for the babies who are coming up now. We fail to do that, we'll suffer again to the fraction, the fractures and the distractions that come in when we get to that state of overwhelm. Yeah. You know, and, and I think even looking at, I guess, like an, another angle of what people are faced with, some people are saying we're post pandemic now because hmm. of where we are with the vaccinations. I wouldn't quite say that yet, but. Uh, with where we are with the vaccinations, now you're seeing these incentives for people to get vaccinated. You're seeing people be more lax with wearing their mask and that stuff. And so the reality of returning to the workplace is becoming realer and realer. And in conversation with some of uh, my my friends who are Black women, saying that they don't want to go back to the workplace because of the code switching and the implicit biases. And it's just exhausting. And some of them joining um, workspaces that have been created specifically for women of color exclusively and how refreshing it is and how uh, just how it fills them up instead of draining them to be in space with women who understand and who are compassionate and where they can be themselves and they don't have to put on this facade because they don't want to be perceived as unprofessional or be, you know, stereotyped as the angry black woman in the workplace. And so it's just, you know, all of these things um, compiled together uh, it and it goes back to what you said of the overwhelm, you know, and how sometimes even we unintentionally overwhelm ourselves mm. by taking on all of this stuff to not really deal with the thing. And so I think now um, more than ever, as the seasons have changed a bit, we're done with the trial. We're done. You know, the protests have have stopped for now. Uh, the pandemic, you know, pe most people are vaccinated. Like a lot of these things are done. We're entering into a new season. And I just really want to encourage people to rest and recover. Mm. Rest and recover. I, I, <laughs> that's, that's problematic for me right now. I feel a tension around that. I felt a guilt the other day when um, a group of folks that I was working with um, 
we had a little kind of end of the year, just cookout. And one of the things that I do is a love language is I cook for people. Um, me in a grill and watching people eat good food is one of the most calming things for me. It just, it resets the button and Look, I can I'm burn. Gonna need, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need to invite next time. I'm just okay, saying. <laughs> okay, we'll do, we'll do, we'll do. You got that coming. Don't worry about that. Um, but my, my, the challenge that I faced is I have felt guilty. I, <laughs> oh man, you gonna make me go there. I've cooked for my family. We've, I've cooked for, for, I, I've, I've tried to use the thing that usually resets me. And I found myself feeling good in the moment. I caught, <laughs> I got snatched by one of my mentors in the community and, and who's forced us to go and fish. He taught me how mm-hmm. to fish. He taught me, um, this, let me just go ahead and say, it. I'm gonna give a shout out to Chris Crutchfield, who as a young kid mm-hmm. taught me how to be professional, taught me how to fish. He taught me a lot about being a man, right? Family man, loves his family. I just, I admire the mess out of him. And he um, forced us to fish. And we caught some big fish. I smoked them up, looked at the whole recipe. You know, I got scientific on it. And I find myself smoking this for some friends. I have dinner every Monday with a group of friends. Every single Monday. We've been doing it for six years. Every Monday. And it passes to a different household every Monday. And I found myself cooking and stressing just to, to try to do the thing that usually happens. And the big fish I was, I was cooking just didn't turn out right. It was still tasty, but it didn't turn out like I wanted it to. And I'm back and forth and everybody else is just chilling. And I, and I realized at the end that this overwhelm even stole that reset button that I usually push from me. And I have felt a matter of guilt. And, and, and here's how it's, it's gone. I've been doing this. I try to do this thing. I try to achieve it. I don't. I'm frustrated for that reason. And then I turn around and say... And while I was doing that, there's all these other needs that need to be taken care of in community mm-hmm. and all these things. And so compounding all of that is this guilt of, I should have done more. I should have been doing this. I should have been at this space. I should have been in, in this place over here. There's even a moment where, where Sister Nakima comes at, at the George Floyd Square. And, you know, I had spent that day in the healing space. And we're sitting there, we watched, watched uh, Sons of, uh, or, or Sounds of Blackness kill it. And it was a space of feeling like, okay, we can, we can, I, I felt close to some healing, felt quote, close to some, like a breath being taken. And then I talked to her and she came over and she was like, yeah, you know, we were at the government center earlier today. And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. So here I've been basking. And again, she didn't, she didn't say it to be guilty. She was trying to acknowledge and say, yes, Hey, she, we're happy. We have this moment to just smile and dance. Kids, uh, you know, nothing calms me down more than see dads walking around with their kids on their shoulders so they can see Mm. the stage. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. And then after she left, I sat back and I was like, well, should I have been at the governor's center? Should I have gone over here? Should I have called this person over here? And all of a sudden, this thing, this in the state of overwhelm, the things that usually allow us to rest don't. Yeah. They get interrupted. They get distracted. Right. And so it's been sitting on me. So when I hear you talk about that, the, the rest space, I, this, this tension comes up in me again. And I just, I had to name that because it's something that I've been dealing and struggling with. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of survivor's remorse mm. or a lot of uh, business owners that I talked to after the unrest last year were guilty that their buildings were untouched, mm. still standing, not looted when so many of their neighbors 
that had their buildings burnt down to the ground or had all of their products and inventory stolen or ruined. And it's just, we, I don't know, it's like unnecessarily uh, make ourselves feel Mm. um, Mm. guilt or overwhelm. And so, yeah, I just, I feel like the seasons are shifting. And so many people would ask me when I was um, very busy doing the coverage of the trial and Dante Wright protests and the press conferences in the middle of the night. Uh, you know, how was I doing it all? I'm like, because it's only for a season mm-hmm. and you got to think about it. I mean, look at how the pace of uh, what, what we're up against has changed. And so the seasons are shifting. We're in a, a different season and uh, we have to acknowledge what our needs are in that season. And, and so uh, for, for me, what I'm just identifying is like, this has got to be a season for rest and recovery um, mm-hmm. so that we uh, can be prepared because, you know, you know, this ain't it. <laughs> you know, this ain't it. There, there's going to be another thing. There's, there's going to be another thing and you, you're going to want to be ready. You're going to want to be rested so that you don't feel exhausted and so that you don't um you don't overwork yourself well, burnout you don't burn out that burnout yep the overwhelm the burnout and and what do we do to address that i, I think i think that that's going to be my point of reflection and it's not easy it doesn't happen overnight it doesn't it's not magic buttons you can push you don't you know it it's it's work you know, that in and of itself is work, but it's restorative work. And so, you know, as I think of, as, as, as we, you know, come to a close here, we, you know, we always, um, for those who are listening, we always end with kind of how you are being you in this moment. And I think I might want to modify that for this day. And instead of saying that and asking the question, what's on your recovery menu? I need to modify that for today. Um, so what's on your recovery menu as you, <laughs> as you get ready? <laughs> And restore and recoup. To just breathe. Let it out. Let it go. Acknowledge what is out of your control. Mm. And release it. I I do Instacart. Mm-hmm. And my Instacart keeps reminding me I have like seven items in it I haven't purchased yet because I ran out of my herbal supplements and going, 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 going and just don't have time to go to the store to get them. So I was like, let me just Instacart them. So, you know, just trying to stay on top of the things and making time, prioritizing and not allowing work and family and like all of these other community, you know, all these other obligations get in the way of, of taking care of yourself. I think for me, recovery also looks like making my first hire. I was terrified of becoming an employer. Mm. And, uh, you know, they say to whom much is given, much is required. Mm -hmm. And the reality of it is I need help running Mm. my business. I just do. It's too much to be done. There is a huge need in our community for the work that I'm doing. And I'm only one person and I can't do it all. You know, and so my uh, recovery plan looks like uh, 
asking for help when I need it, you know, positioning myself to to get the help that I need and adding healthy boundaries. Mm. Do you ever get a call in the middle of the day when you're like, you're trying to do something <laughs> and somebody just starts like going in a whole nother direction that you weren't prepared to go? And no, you're you, you talking to Claire, you, you're talking to, to, listen, to a minister here. <laughs> listen, I've been getting those phone calls and I try to take them. I, I really try to always answer my, my call and my, my calls and be there for people. But I found myself having to draw boundaries because of the overwhelm. I'm in the middle of trying to do something or prepare or finish a project or whatever. And I get a call about a story somebody wants me to do. And this could turn into a two-hour conversation easily. Mm. And when you have your day scheduled out, how do you account for that? You can't. And so I don't mean to be rude, but now I've had to start to kind of interject and say, Hey, you know, I'm really interested in in what you have to say. Let's schedule a time to have like where we can actually have this uninterrupted conversation and I can give you my undivided attention. Mm -hmm. And so drawing boundaries, not being afraid to speak up or feeling like you're going to disrespect someone, you know, do it in a polite way, but you have to, to draw boundaries. You have to protect your time and you have to protect your peace. Those are the things that I'm centering for for my recovery plan because I I used I didn't do that before. Thank you for sharing that. You know, <laughs> you got me chick chuckling over here because there's two pieces to my recovery plan. One, I'm going to reclaim my cooking for others as a space. Um, I'm going to reclaim it. I'm not going to allow that to be stolen or taken from me. God. God gave me some instincts because of my aunties and my grandmothers who who sat in the kitchen and taught me and I, I had wherewithal to, to pay attention. So I'm going to keep that. I'm also regathering with um, our choir, our vocal ensemble, who we haven't sung together in a deep way in, in a year. And now we're starting to gather again because we're all vaccinated. And um, that is going to be, that's, that's going to be that recoup. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and give this out. And this isn't a secret. Um, go ahead and get you a pot. Anybody who's listening, you can get you a pot, throw, uh, two smoked turkey legs in there and a, and a whole diced up onion, toss in pepper. Don't measure it. Just toss, toss in turmeric. Don't measure it. Just toss, toss in garlic. Don't measure it. Just toss, toss in some onion powder. Don't measure it. Just toss. And if you want to add a little kick, add in some slap your mama. Don't measure it. Just toss. After you do that, add in whatever bean you want. Let that boil and cook until the meat falls off them turkey legs. And then sit down and enjoy yourself in some rice and a little bit of hot sauce and just be. There's my recipe to you all for, for, for the Galloway red beans and rice. Um, take it, run with it. And again, don't measure, just toss. That's my my recovery plan that's going to be happening in the near future here. And now you can add that to your mix as well. Uh, this has been Bearing Witness, and I'm going to kick it back to you, Miss Georgia, to end us right. May the revolution be healing in the words of Dr. Joy Lewis. This is Bearing Witness with Anthony and Georgia. 
This has been Bearing Witness with Anthony and Georgia, a part of the racial reckoning project, The Arc of Justice, a journalism project created and supported by Ampers, Diverse Radio for Minnesota's Communities, KMOJ Radio, and the Minnesota Humanities Center with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. <laughs>